Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. I'm uh, going to be getting a little bit calmer on the introductions. You know why? Yesterday, I decided to listen back to the episode. I never listen back to episodes. I don't know why. I was going for a little drive. I was running some errands, and I decided, why not listen back to the show? And uh, while I was listening back to the show, shit, you know what? I'm, I'm fumbling here. We're going to do a secondary intro. This is a fake intro. The show hasn't started yet. I know I pretended like the show was starting and I was going to do a calm intro, but look at me. I'm already frustrated. All right. uh, Ready? We're restarting the show. I'm going to have to make an edit right now. Here comes the real introduction. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. It's nice to have all of you here with me today. And we've got an exciting episode coming at you uh, with failed attempts at calmer introductions so that people don't have to be so alarmed. So I feel like once I get started in some of the news, you get into a rhythm and you go, okay, this guy talks fast and you kind of reacclimate to the to the quickness, the swiftness, the energy. But if all of a sudden right up front, it's just all yelling and shit. You're like, man, this is this is too much. What the hell is going on here? Anyways, we got a lot of news topics that we're uh, going to be getting into today. I've got uh, Clint from Liberty Lockpod coming down. Liberty Lockdown. I don't know why I keep saying Liberty Lockpod. I make all sorts of gaffes. You know what? I'm starting to take, uh, I might have to entirely change my perspective of uh, Joe Biden. Because one of the things I noticed listening back to yesterday's episode is I keep calling Joe Biden Hunter Biden. I can't get it right. And here I am, the irony of the fact that I'm yelling at Joe Biden for being the world's biggest dumbass while I can't even get his name right and not call him Hunter Biden. I mean, the the the, the circle of dumbassery where I'm calling someone else a dumbass for making gaffes while I'm being the bigger dumbass, but here's the one difference. I haven't decided to run the country. I have recognized the fact that I shouldn't have my hands on nuclear devices. I've recognized the fact that I shouldn't be the person pushing Putin into wars and taking bribe money from China. I've recognized my flaws as a human being. And so that's why I'm chilling from my living room, just yelling, you know, whereas Biden, he 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 hasn't taken ownership of his gaffes. I'm willing, ready and able to fully admit my dumbassery, is Joe Biden willing to take the same plunge? All right, let's get into some new topics. Uh, first is we've got some major uh, shakeups in, uh, in in abortions. Today, Oklahoma made it a straight-up felony. Colorado, they went the other way. They they made like a 10-second rule where even if it's out of you, just you got 10 seconds. You got to kill it. It's been out 10 seconds. Don't let that baby touch the floor. So, but here's what's nice about states going just in opposite directions on these laws is that you can vote with your feet, right? So like Colorado could put up a big old sign letting the world know, hey, listen, we're super slut friendly over here. Oklahoma could go the other way. Go, listen, you you put your dick in that lady. You got to marry her. And then people can decide where they want to live. No big deal. Just make big old signs on the highway, letting people know whether or not you're a slut friendly state. And whether or not you'll let people uh, get rid of those, you know, full tummies, I understand it. We've all eaten a big ass lunch and been like, oh, man, I really regret eating that. So can you imagine that same sensation? But it was with some dudes come and you don't even really like the dude. And now all of a sudden you got some super full stomach and you're just thinking about the fact that is there a way for me to just let let this stomach not be as full? All right, let's get into some actual really newsy, newsy topics. Here's the first one. This don't say gay bill. It's not going away. I thought I wasn't going to have to actually read the thing. Is this not the most ludicrous story that's ever existed? I can't keep claiming that everything's the most sensational thing that ever existed. But here's what's so remarkable about the Don't Say Gay Bill. It's not called the Don't Say Gay Bill, and nobody could tell you what the fuck is in it. What exactly was being taught 
that is no longer allowed to be taught? It's a very simple question. How much conversation and debate and headlines can the entire country have about something that none of us know anything about? I myself have broadcasted quite a bit on this, and I know absolutely nothing about it. It's just an entire country of people, reporters not quite reporting, people outraged over the headlines that aren't even what the bills are called. I mean, it's amazing, the circle of stupidity here of uninformed individuals with charged opinions. I mean, that's supposed to be my market. Charged opinions, uninformed. The entire world can't be just yelling uninformed opinions. So we've got Ohio likes what Florida did. It looked at Florida. They're like, hey, I like what you're doing over here with this bill that no one's read or understands, but we like it. So we're going to introduce our own version of the don't say gay bill, even though no one's calling it the don't say gay bill. I would like it, you know, the same as with the abortion, if maybe this situation went a little bit tit for tat and other states, states started passing the really, really gay bill. You show up to kindergarten first day, boy or girl, everyone's got to wear tutus. You got to ditch math. We'll start uh, active guilt practices. It's kind of like breathing exercises, but the white kids sit in the corner and they go, I'm so bad because I'm white. I'm so bad because I'm white. The other kids need to be helped because I don't understand this new world that we live in of, I guess, like kind of recognizing race. It's like a new, it used to be uh, set like, uh, you know, there was that line separate, but equal. So now it's like separate, but special. It's like you races should be recognized for being separate, but that the non-white ones should be treated as special, but then also don't be racist and think that anyone's different than you or worse off than you. But because of the things that we've done in our past, because of the things that we've done in our history, we have to overcompensate for them. And so it's not supposed to be separate. Separate's the wrong word because we don't want to be separated. It's different but special. I think that's the way it is. Maybe they can make a Barney song about that so that it could, uh, you know, be a little bit more clear to people like me, the gaffers of the world, the folks like me and Joe Biden who have a hard time getting our facts straight. All right. So here was one thing that was actually with a specific, this came from Florida. This was a headline from the Hill amendment to don't say gay bill in Florida requires school to out students, their parents within six weeks. And now, Unless you got some boy who's humping the other kids in class, is this really something you got to call your parent? Can you be gay in school? You know, I feel like there was uh, th- th- that's why you go to school. You're going to be there all day. We all acted a little bit differently in school. For me, it was I smoked a lot of weed and didn't show up and pretended like I was at school. And, you know, I made it all the way to almost senior year before my school realized that they should call my parents and tell them that that was a good school. They minded their fucking business. They cashed my parents' private school checks. They took those, they took those fat checks and said, ah, all right, if he doesn't want to come to school, whatever, that that's up to him. I mean, you know, we'll take his parents' money. We don't care about his education. That was a good institution. They minded their fucking business, but in public school, you're going to call up some parents and let them know. And then why six weeks? If it's important to inform the parents, why, why six weeks? Is it so that if they got some overly conservative parents, they can get all their gay stuff out of the way before their parents find out that they are gay? And why do we continuously have these articles with just some of the information? What age group are we talking about here? Are we talking about one to three-year-olds? What is the context where one to three-year-olds are coming out in school and then the teachers aren't relaying the information to the parents? It would sound to me like that you would be calling the parents. 
And why wouldn't you be called? Like, what, are we ever going to get reporting with actual information? Or is everything just going to be like obscure headlines that don't make sense? And then people taking it as factual and upset about the fact that they're confused. But of course they're confused. The article, you didn't report anything. Are there any experts out there on gay laws? Who's out there? Who's the expert that I can book onto the Run Your Mouth podcast that could break down the not don't say gay bill and what specifically was going on in Florida that Ron DeSantis stood up and decided he had to ban? And who knows? Maybe we'll end up with uh, more and more splintering amongst the states where, you know, you can have some states where they teach the kids real early about being gay. Women, maybe they get abortions in high school just so they're prepared for a lifetime of getting abortions. You know, you get them you get them good and ready so that they're well trained. Then you get your other states. No one can even mention the word gay and there's no abortions. And then everyone can uh, live amongst life minded individuals and enjoy their lives. All right. January 6th. That shit's ramping up. We've got Durham. He's breaking down everything with the Hillary Clintons. They're going after. Uh, hopefully everyone gets in trouble. That's what I'm hoping. Like, it seems like there's two competing teams here. You got the Democrats. They're trying to take down Donald Trump over the whole January 6th, trying to pretend like he won an election, trying to uh, bitch out uh, Pence for not, you know, going along with their entire ruse. And they tried to really they really tried to bitch that guy out and go, listen, you got to go in there and pretend like there's laws where we just don't certify the election and then we just get to stay here. Uh, and Pence is like, I don't think it works that way. And now they got all the they got 100 text messages. We've got six hours of uh, where Donald Trump was off the clock, not talking into his phone. And they're bringing everyone in for questionings. So the big thing yesterday was that Ivanka Trump uh, was there. And when I saw this, this is funny to me. When I saw this, I was going to make a joke that obviously Ivanka Trump wasn't helpful. And then I realized this is not a fair joke because for some reason in my head, I looked at Ivanka Trump. And I just assume she's like a Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian type person, just uh, some hot chick, talk your fucking ear off, not shut the fuck up, use the word like a bunch, probably talk with her hand a whole lot. Just I had an archetype in my head of some bozo idiot who couldn't possibly have any helpful or relevant information whatsoever. And then you know what I decided? I decided I'm not going to make that joke. I realized I've never listened to Ivanka Trump talk. She might be a highly intelligent individual, maybe behind the scenes. She's actually running the Trump empire. Maybe it's like when we were kids and you watched Inspector Gadget. And remember, I think that chick was a chick. I think that was the girl and the dog. And she was doing all the smart stuff. And Inspector Gadget had all the gadgets, but he was really just a buffoon. And so the girl was just kept putting them all. And I feel like there was an archetype in a bunch of cartoons when we were kids of a smart little girl actually getting it all done. I think Lisa Simpson could somewhat fall into that. I feel like in Darkwing Duck also, there was that little girl behind the scenes getting that all done. That was a bit of an archetype going all the way back to when we were kids. So who knows? Maybe Ivanka Trump for all of her uh, attractiveness and New York City elitism. Maybe she's actually behind the scenes, intelligent individual. So I was like, I'm not going to make this joke. And I don't care to go onto YouTube and see what she sounds like. And then here was the headline discussing Ivanka Trump's appearance. The committee's chair rep, Benny Thompson, said Ivanka Trump came in on her own without the need for a subpoena and was helpful, but not chatty during the interview. Now, how amazing is that, that you would just look at her and assume that she would just be chatty and not helpful, that they had to actually clarify the fact that she came in and didn't just chew their ear off about random nonsense? I mean, that is how much she just looks like or 
Maybe she actually showed up and was chatty. Have you ever seen them describe a hearing in this way that somebody came in and either was or wasn't chatty? I've never even seen that word used. So I just thought that that's incredible that you would look at a picture of Ivanka Trump and so assume that she is this archetype of an individual that the people that brought her in had to actually clarify the fact that she wasn't. And then here was another quote that I enjoyed about Ivanka's uh, appearance in front of the committee. Whether she gives the committee new information or not, her decision to cooperate is significant for the panel, which has been trying to secure an interview with her since late January. And how government is that where it's not about goals or accomplishments? It's not about actually finding anything out or getting anything done or having a productive day or moving the ball forward. It's just the fact that someone was willing to be compliant and showcase the fact that we stand above them and we have authority. And so the fact that she came in and she did her Hail Marys and threw the, uh, I don't know what you guys do in church. She ate the crackers of Jesus and she threw the water up in the air and she did her Hail Marys. And I guess this could have been a synagogue example because I'm more familiar with the way that those operate. But just how government is that? It wasn't, it, it's not about us getting anything done. It's just about us showcasing our authority. And luckily this individual was willing to come in and be compliant and to come to our th authority. And so for that, we thank her. Next up in uh, COVID news, we've got the CDC director. This is from MSNBC. CDC director says high immunity in U.S. population provides some protection against Omicron BA2. CDC director says high immunity in U.S. population provides some protection. And isn't that great? Two years and $80 billion and we still don't know. It's right. Here's the honest truth. You see, the problem with COVID, unless you're fat and over the age of 80, uh, it's a little bit like Freddy Krueger, where it's like, if you believe in it, it's going to haunt you. You're going to have to stay indoors. You're going to have to get masked up. You're not going to be able to live your life. So there's nothing to be concerned about with Corona unless government decides to shut us down, convince us that everyone's dying. But here's the thing. They're already using the front page of the news to sell us about what's going on in Ukraine. There's only so much bandwidth to sell us on things. And so since they're all about, hey, we got to go fight wars in Ukraine. And isn't it a little bit suspicious? I, all right. I want to I want to take a step back because you, sometimes you start coming off like a monster. If Putin's killing civilians in the way that they're describing that is horrible and terrible. And yes, I guess it's worth a conversation about how we try and get rid of evil like that from the world. However, the newspapers have the power to focus on very specific avenues of evil, and then everyone gets upset about it, and then we decide to change things. So that's the power of the newspaper is what they actually hold a flashlight to. So everyone goes, hey, that's that's not good. Kasahogi, the hoagie man was the best example of that. Everyone got all upset at Saudi Arabia for killing journalists. Uh, Saudi Arabia kills all the people all the time. We just don't normally report on it. So you get Ukraine, Spotlight, lead an article, Zelensky uh, on our Grammys, uh, heart-wrenching pictures, how many horrible things are going on in the world that we aren't hearing about on a daily basis, and why is it that this one is getting our focus? And it would seem to me because uh, people are trying to kind of sell us on a war. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It feels like we're in a no-win situation here. To me, best route, the way that we're going to save the most human lives is by de-escalating. So 
as much as possible, I'm trying not to play into this thing and focus on what are they trying to sell me on? And is that actually going to be good for humanity? And it would appear otherwise back to the CDC thing. So luckily, uh, CDC might have no idea, uh, but I'm going to venture to guess that no one's going to care about these variants because they're not going to take the time to show us hospital beds and really pull at our emotions and tell everyone to stay home because it's the end of the world and we should be able to go outside. You know, if we're going to end up in a war with Ukraine, I mean, not Ukraine, with Russia, you see, that's the gaps I'm talking about. I'm no better than Biden. All right, what else did I have here? I think this is from uh, this article. No, no, no. In terms of selling Ukraine, oh, you guys aren't going to be able to hear this. I didn't set up the, uh, I didn't set it up in the right way, but you had Sean Penn was on uh, Sean Hannity's show and he's out there and he's talking about having been in the Ukraine. And it's just nice to see that the CIA has America's best actors working on selling the war. You know, sometimes when you got to go out and sell something, you really need the best people on the cause. And so you got to go recruit the people with the. Does he have any Academy Awards? I don't know if he's won any Academy Awards. All right. Next topic. Uh, there's pushing more and more increasingly for canceling student debt. So you got a bunch of these twinks. They're out in front of the uh, the White House. Um, and uh, I want to read to you the signs that they were holding, which was they're out there. They want student debt canceled. And so their new slogan is with the flick of a pen. With the flick of a pen, that's all it would take for Biden. It's so inconsequential in such an easy move that if he just flicks his pen, and guess what? You can also cause a nuclear war at the click of a button. Hey, just click a button. You can just send the word. It's just clicking a button. Well, you got something against climate. It's right there. You open up the case, you click a button. It's just a nuclear war. Come on. Like, it's not inconsequential to just cancel debt. You guys took on loans for something. Like, I, I would love to just not pay off. Uh, I mean, I actually don't have any debt because I'm smart and I don't spend my money. I don't even I don't even buy myself heat. That's the way I'm living my life. You guys want to live this no heat lifestyle so you can have savings that you probably don't ever spend on anything because housing prices just keep going up and up and you don't feel comfortable spending money. So you just eat good lunches every day. You could be living this lifestyle. Come over here. I'll fatten you kids up, you little twinks. I'll teach you how to live life. I'll teach you. And then also these look like young kids cancel your student debt. Have you even tried getting a job? looks like you're working some shitty job right now. Just standing there with flyers and posters, or did you just leave school? You took on the debt and just instantly went said, Hey, instead of trying to pay this thing off, let me go rally to see if I can make what I just did for just go get a job. You literally just got out of school. Have you even made an attempt at trying to pay it back? Uh, and I hate student debt, um, because I don't have any, and so I hope everyone else who took it on repays back every single penny of that. And if they don't, then government should probably give me a down payment for a free house. I don't understand why other people should get free shit that I didn't. You people went to summer camp. You enjoyed your college experiences and uh, you should have to pay for it. And if for some reason you're let off the hook, whoever sold people on loans that they would be unable to pay back should be going to jail. Uh, so this was a fun story where uh, this is from CBS News. But Charles Darwin Tree of Life notebooks, these were notebooks. They were worth millions of dollars. At some point, they got lifted from the library and uh, they've been recently returned. So is Charles Darwin's Tree of Life notebooks missing for two decades, mysteriously um, returned along with the message for the librarian. And the message said, I've left my DNA on everything, which, of course, the library. Oh, shit, this fucking thing's filled with cum. Because that's what you that's what you would do with Darwin's notebook. It's survival of the fittest. And, uh, you know, people are going to be studying that thing forever. So if you want to make sure that your DNA sticks around for the ages, 
You got to go fill Charles Darwin's books. And you can do that at your local library. It's not just true of the original prints. If you want to go to your library, and I'm not telling you guys to go to the library and come in books. That would probably be a uh, irresponsible thing to say in a podcast. So that's not what I'm saying. Uh, don't do that. You know, don't, don't go to the library. There's already homeless people doing that. You know what I mean? There's already enough homeless people shitting and coming in the library. We don't need more people going to the library to do that. All right. And in continuing my outrage about articles, not giving you enough information. So I saw a headline. This is from Yahoo news. Titus Lowe made $30,000 a month with his only fans. Now it could land him in jail for up to 21 months. And I look at this picture, Titus Lowe, and I'm like, this guy looks like he's got a little dick. This guy looks like a thin little twink. I mean, he's kind of, he's got some money. But I was looking at him. I was like, if he's making $30,000, how much money can I possibly be making on uh, on OnlyFans? There might be a market for this. By the way, if I was a chick, I would have been on OnlyFans yesterday. Because that's the thing. You see one picture of someone who's not that attractive, and you hear about how much money they're making. They're like, wait, wait, I can just post nudes, and you're just going to give me that money? Fuck yeah, I'll post some nudes. I mean, that's a lot of money. The problem is you're not guaranteed it. So how many people went there? It's like a lottery ticket. That's honestly what it is. For the most part, everything online, it's a lottery ticket. So you read about these people making 30 grand a month and you're like, I will do that. And then you post nudes and then you make nothing. And then you're like, shit, I just put nudes on the internet. Like if someone came to you up front, like the old Playboy model, and they're like, hey man, here's a million dollars. You'd be like, all right, well, that's kind of guaranteed. That's pretty good. But this one, for every single person that's winning, there's some losers out there that have just posted nudes on the internet, found out that no one cares about their nudes, and then you're like, shit, now my nudes are on the internet. But back to the problem with this article. So these guys, you know, they're telling me about this dude. He's making $30,000 a month. I want to know. What is this guy? Show me a naked picture. If you're going to do an article about an OnlyFans person, don't make me have to go to go to Google and start looking up gay porn. That's not cool. Give me the facts here. If you're going to publish an article telling me that some dude is making $30,000 a month just for being naked, I want to know what this guy looks like. Is that a body that's worthy of $30,000 a month? Also, if you ever needed more proof of the fact that Singapore sucks, the fact that you're going to go to jail for making money, I mean, that's uh, that's that's not cool. All right, what else do I want to yell about? Pretty soon, Clint's going to be coming on. We're going to be covering uh, actual sensible financial topics. Uh, but until he does, here's some more nonsense for you. So every once in a while, I like to hate read the uh, the New York Times. And uh, I will say, in my life, I have noticed, and this is, I'm, this is personal to me, maybe you guys will agree with me or you won't, but I do feel like the left has created quite a bit of racial tension in that it used to be you just talked to and hung out with people. That's all it did. Didn't matter. Or at least that's the way I operate in my life. Now I find more and more I get a little bit in my head when I'm dealing with people from other race and cultures where I have a little thought in my head of like, oh, is this going to be offensive? Am I going to be offensive? And then that kind of creates a disconnect where here's a good line of school sales. If you're uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable. So sometimes I start getting in my head of, am I being going to be making this person uncomfortable? And then you make the situation uncomfortable because you just got in your head about it. And so I feel like that's somewhat come from, uh, from people saying that there's a disconnect that you can't just be people. You can't just be like, oh, I'm a person, you're a person. I don't know. It's what I was saying earlier. It's like this new philosophy that seems to be uh, different, but special. Like you're supposed to recognize that they're like, they, they, it's like a, it's a, you're not woke and you are racist. If you don't recognize the racial disparities between groups and, and then want to use it to then prop them up. I don't know. I get confused by the whole thing. That that's the other problem. It's not clear enough. All right. So anyways, 
I was hate reading this article from the New York Times, which was blackness deserves a seat at the Seder. And firstly, just the headline, like who wasn't given blackness a seat at the Seder? If you're Jewish and black, go enjoy a Seder. Was anyone telling you you couldn't do that anywhere? Was there anything culturally about the Jewish experience? Like in what way did you feel excluded? All right. And then the whole article is about, I love these articles. The, I, I, it's just like these, I, I'm, I got to hate read the New York times a little bit more so I could better hone in on what exactly it is that is so, but they feel uh, there's like this cultural experience of food articles and cultural experience. And it's always just nonsense. Like everything about you, the way that you celebrate your culture through food and dance and this, and these are people that spend their lives waiting for fucking brunch. It's just your whole day. And then you get, you realize, all right, you just overspent on pancakes and a mimosa and now you got a headache in the afternoon that's all your day was and then you're going to go to some art exhibit i mean i'd like to spend some time with the people that write these articles maybe see what they're interested in how their lives are living but it always just seems like some poetic flavor of bullshit of celebrating the cultural heritage of food so here you got this article about how blackness deserves a seat at the seder and it's about this uh uh black fellow who is uh putting together cuisine for his seder and so I'm going to read you a paragraph for black Americans, Jews like Mr. Tweedy, the author of the book, Kosher Soul, about the intersection of Jewish and African diaspora cuisine, which will be published in August. The table can be a place to claim and create their own culinary traditions, ones that reflect both their faith and ethnic background. It's also a space to reaffirm their identity and place in American Judaism where questions of authenticity often plague black Jews into Picture of the guy making fried chicken. <laughs> you might as well have relabeled this article. New York Times finds a way to be racist without being racist. It's an entire article about how this uh, this black guy is uh, bringing in authentic flavor and re-expensing the cultural heritage. And then it just turns out to be an article about large black man makes fried chicken. That That's all the article really is. Isn't it amazing how these they just kind of seem to like, I don't know. I, every time I read, I'm like, aren't you guys being racist? All right. I want to skip this one because I don't think it's that uh, relevant or important. And I have Clint coming on any minute now. Hopefully he'll be on time. Hopefully he didn't miss, uh, miss his flight to the broadcast. Let's make sure I texted him the link. All right. You should be here in a minute. Uh, here we go. Twitter says it's getting an edit button, but not because of Elon Musk. I appreciated this headline. So the first thing Elon Musk did, he took his 9.6% and he didn't just bring back Trump. That's what I would have done. I would have done a blowout party and said, hey, here's Trump. I brought him back. And then Trump, his social truth thing, he would he could just pretend. How much? How many people do you think are going to get fucked over by that one when Trump's allowed back on Twitter? And you, yeah, I'm back. Here I am. I'm back on Twitter. I'm going to do all my tweeting. And then all of a sudden, like just the, the, the social media networks that he pretended like he was going to work on just go away. They disappear. Uh, also, go check out. I just did Brian McWilliams show. Uh, he's part of the uh, Lions of Liberty. And we were uh, talking quite a bit about our take on whether or not we thought you could trust Elon Musk if he's one of the good guys or if uh, really, you know, he's just uh, another one of these government people because it's a little bit weird the way that his business uh 
has profited so much off of government, um, you know, funding from credits or uh, other things that are not really just pure capitalism, free market. Hey, I've engineered something. I've got mixed feelings. He's fun. He's fun at times. And other times I'm like, can I trust this guy? What's your take? Maybe we could do a poll anyways. Twitter says it's getting an edit button, but not because of Elon Musk. I got to say, I don't like the idea of Twitter getting an edit button. Because I probably got some learning disabilities, some dyslexia, some Biden gaffes, all those types of things. And sometimes I read back my own tweet where I thought I had a good joke. And I'm like, this thing makes no sense. And then letters are in the wrong place. I'm using the wrong words. It just doesn't make any sense. But then if you create an edit button, you know how much lazier you're going to showcase the world I am that I don't even want to go back and re-edit the tweets that made zero sense whatsoever? I think that's the whole point of the thing. You, you spoof some nonsense into the world grammatically correct or incorrect, it doesn't matter. You put it out there and then it's fucking permanent. There's no edits. You shouldn't even be able to delete tweets. If you say something fucking stupid and you realize what you said was stupid, you press send. That's in the world right now. I mean, that's what happened to, to that guy. Uh, I don't know who I was going to reference. All right, let's uh, do a sponsor plug and then let's bring Clint onto the show. Guys, if you like not having to hear from some woke-ass companies with razors or other things that you're like, fuck these fucking sponsors trying to police content and making claims about what's going on in the world. Well, then it's time to start supporting the independent sponsors with awesome fucking liberty oriented shit, such as the gap armory.com. It's actually not the gap. It's gap armory.com. I know a bunch of you guys out there. You got your guns. You're probably looking for parts. You want toolkits. You want to be one of these serial killers sits down all night, play some music, maybe drink some wine, just keeps polishing his gun, keeps re like doing that serial killer shit where you just undo it, redo it like you see in the Marine movies. They got kits for that. You just uh, just go buy some gear. Go buy yourself a bag. Go buy yourself a scope. Go buy yourself some binoculars. Print yourself your own guns and then get yourself the top part of the Glock so that no one knows you have the thing. But then do that responsibly in a legal manner that I could promote. Point being, support the independent sponsors. They got super grips. I know not everyone in the audience jerks off as much as I do that they've got a grip where they can really hold a gun. I know some of the other guys, you got wobbly hands. You haven't spent your entire lives jerking off so that you can just really hold a gun and grip it tight. So you need the super grips. And you can get the super grips for people that don't jerk off that often. That's actually the title. That's the company at GapArmory.com. Go support the independent sponsors uh, so that we can get more cool shit on the show. We're going to get all sorts of cool shit. We're going to get the cryptos you can't track. We're, we're, I mean, this is already a ghost gun sponsor. That's pretty fucking cool. So GapArmory.com, go check it out. And now let's get into some financial topics with my good friend, Mr. Clint. What's up, brother? Ooh, I can't hear you. I, you might be muted on your end, or maybe it's a tech error on my end. Hold on one second. Um... Might be a tech error of mine. Give me one second, Mr. Clint. Okay. All right. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. There we go. Good to go. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much, man. Did, uh, before we get into the, the financial side, did you read the Vanity Fair article that came out? Which uh, What's the Vanity Fair article? Lay it on oh, me. bro. Bro, it's going to blow your mind. Okay. Uh, it's an investigative report. It's about, it's like a 10,000 word article. It's extremely long, uh, but it's the best investigative journalism I have seen about Fauci, Dazak, EcoHealth, uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. If you don't have time, my episode that dropped this morning, I, I read it for my audience because it's very long. And I'm telling you, it is as close to a smoking gun. I just wanted to bring it to your attention in case you weren't aware, because it is fucking awesome. I don't know. I missed that. Was that, that came out today? 
it came out four days ago, and I think honestly, just because of the the war stuff, it's been completely buried. But it's it's gonna make its rounds. People are gonna figure it out. Uh, and now I'm interested to know: is it just um, is it just interesting because Vanity Fair actually published it, or is there new information in it? Actually, no, there is some new information. Um, they did they did enough like actual research. They went through a hundred thousand internal documents from EcoHealth Alliance to figure out what happened. So I think that's basically what it amounted to is like all of us little singular journalists couldn't handle it. I don't know why I'm referring to us as journalists, but that's essentially what we've become. <laughs> right. Um, and and so they had their entire team. I don't know how many people working on it to go through those documents to actually figure out, you know, the what led to this and what led to that and who covered up where and why did they cover up? And it's it's amazing. It is genuinely amazing. I'm going to have to give that a read. I get the, uh, I mean, I always kind of start thinking about things in conspiracy terms and I'm willing to bet that Peter DeSac uh, is somewhat tied in with CIA and just general bio like defense spending. And so that's probably why it kind of got so brushed under the rug. Well, this is, this is the interesting part is that uh, he actually wanted to get funding from DARPA because he was short and DARPA responded that nah, man, you're fucking, you're crazy. DARPA was like, yo, you're crazy. <laughs> what is, uh, I haven't heard DARPA in a while. What is DARPA again? Oh, that's the, uh, like advanced defense research agency or something like that. Um, federal, federal department that does all of the most secretive research projects, but it's like the tech side of the CIA essentially. And they were like, no, bro, we can't possibly fund this. So Personally, I think the fact that he was handpicked by China to be the lead investigator for the World Health Organization investigation into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That was one of the most remarkable stories. And the other side of that story was he was also hired by Facebook to do the um, like Like moderation. Yeah, he was the he was the expert (laughs) content moderator. Yeah, dude. I mean, just talk about that. There's got to be a deep state behind that when you get to go investigate yourself and be the content moderator on Facebook while Facebook and all the tech companies are going, we're making sure that inappropriate information and misinformation isn't on the platforms. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, it is. And so he was he was responsible for moderating the conversation on the research into the origin story. He was also responsible for the actual investigation of the lab of from which it arose. I mean... And he was also the person that received the funding and and basically did the research himself. It, it's like it's amazing. And and Vanity and Fair I, does an incredible job connecting all the dots. And if you take a single step back, just objectively, the stupidity of partnering with the Chinese Communist Party on anything that could potentially double as bioweapons research is just flat out stupid. There's no I mean, there's no justification for that. Like you yeah. can you can we, we like we can have these dumb conversations about whether or not science should be engaging in the uh, in the gain of function research. Right. Like, fine. I, I, I can understand sitting somewhere and having a debate. I don't understand why you wouldn't just do it in Alaska. That's the part I don't understand is if right. there's a utility to it and you're the United States government with unlimited funding. Why not just create one gain of functions research lab in Alaska? Whatever you got to do, completely contained and away from the rest of humanity. Fine. Maybe you could have that conversation about whether or not gain of function, but why the fuck would you partner with China? That makes zero sense. Well, it makes zero sense, except for the fact that there was a ban against gain of function research. So they couldn't do it on American soil. They basically had to get it 
they had to do it in a foreign country and they needed scientists that would be able to do the work. And I think that's why they ended up partnering with China. But it, it's it's potentially even darker than that. I think that there's a real chance that they were working on bioweapons. And I think that there's there's a real chance that the CCP and some heads of our our American you know governmental system were basically in cahoots in that process. Uh, so I don't know. I don't have all the I don't have all the answers, but the Vanity Fair piece gets us a hell of a lot closer to the truth. All right, cool, man. I'm excited to read it. And I always because uh, I, I do. I put in my time. I do my homework trying to follow. Oh, I know the, you do the news. And it's always surprising to me when like some of the bigger headlines actually just escape my path. So I was blown away too. the fact that uh, the only reason I knew about it was because uh, Jeffrey Tucker, who I respect the hell out of, he's he's probably been the best writer on this topic for the past two years. Uh, he, he, see the guy wears the bow ties. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yep. So uh, he, he, he brought it up and I was like, Oh shit. All right. I got to read this. And then it took me four days to get a spare hour to finally do it. And then as soon as I was done reading it, I was like, fuck, my audience has to know about this. So, uh, episode 159, the truth tsunami is I read it the entire thing. Hell yeah. And the, the other uh, episode to plug before we get into some financial topics is uh, I feel like you and I did a really great episode about a month ago in regards to uh, ESG scores. Absolutely. Uh, do you know the episode number? Because I think anyone anyone listening to this podcast, I plugged that before, but it, it, it's definitely a worthwhile listen. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's like 152. I don't know. Um, anyways, go through go through the, the catalog. You'll see it. Just search Liberty Lockdown. You'll find Robbie. Fair enough. Okay. So I think the most interesting topic in the world to me is kind of dollar diplomacy, imperialism that the U.S. government may or may not have engaged in in order to basically create dollar demand. Uh, I find it's the most interesting topic. It's also I'm lazy. So it's one of my least research topics, but it's fascinating to me. And we're in a new environment where it seems like the United States in trying to uh, put pressure on Russia might also move people away from the U.S. dollar. It's a fascinating topic to me. We've had some experts come on as of late. And if I give you I'll just give you the short. Basically, the dollar is the least stinky shit and no one else is prepared to replace it. Uh, but even just yesterday, there was this new storyline that the United States government was not going to process Russian funds in Russian banks to pay out U U.S. bondholders, which makes zero sense that you would either basically force Russia to default and then screw U.S. Uh, bondholders out of their money or basically prop up the ruble. Because if you're offering the Americans, hey, take the ruble or like you're not getting paid, they're going to take the ruble. Uh, but just to take a bigger step. If I'm the Russian government or other countries, I'm like, why the fuck am I keeping my money in American banks? Why am I going to put myself in a situation where I might lose my funds? Same thing I think happened with Afghanistan, where they had like billions of dollars that at one point uh, Biden said that they were going to give to like 9-11 victims when, when it got taken over by the Taliban. I'm just looking at that. I was like, why would I try and be in a U.S. dollar system where at any point in time I'm then at risk for the fact that they can just kind of unplug me from it? So I hand it back to you. I've already ranted quite a bit. I'm fascinated by this topic of the risk to the U.S. dollar. Uh, and while I understand the arguments that, you know, what's, what's the alternative? What else can can work? Long term, I'm just like, this just doesn't seem like a win to be forcing people away from the dollar. So I hand it back to you because I know you cover these topics more than I do. 
Yeah, I'm I'm just as concerned as you are, and that's the latter half of the episode I dropped last night too. Is is basically uh, going deeper into that topic. It's I think basically the the primary reason that you would keep your your funds if you're a foreign government in the dollar was because it was the most stable and utilized currency that existed for the longest time, and and you could. You could basically, you know, write it down in concrete. I'm going to lose two percent of the val- the purchasing uh, power of these savings every year, but that's better than almost every other fiat currency on the planet, and it's very and it's also accepted everywhere. So people, for the longest time, were just like, "Yeah, I don't really like having, you know, the U.S. breathing down my neck and telling me what to do, but it al- it allows me to save a tremendous amount of money in uh, in a singular spot, and it makes it easy to use, and blah blah blah." So they just kind of dealt with it. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now we have in, like serious inflation that's making them all that like naturally, if you're losing six, seven, maybe 10%, whatever the actual inflation rate is uh, as a central bank that's keeping reserves in the US dollar, you're already going to start to look for alternatives. Now, on top of that, we're, we're willing to confiscate your holdings based off of you know a whim like whatever you do we could just say okay well we're shutting down all of your accounts which is what we did with russia where we exen- uh, essentially froze sea uh, steel uh upwards of like 600 billion dollars from the the russians so i think i think the game is over man i think that like we we are we are pushing it to an extent that every single country that views us as an you know, maybe not an enemy but certainly a- to be an antagonist or uh, you know, a, a dictator type figure is going to start to look to work amongst each other. And that's what's happening. You have China, you have Venezuela, you have, you know, obviously North Korea, Russia, Saudi Arabia, even India, even, uh, you know, uh, Venezuela, Brazil, like the, all these countries are starting to look at each other and say, like, why, why are we allowing the US to dictate to us how they are? And I think that the real turning point was that finally, America tried to do this shit on a serious nuclear power. And that's when it was like, okay, it's over. Like, cause they know like that's the end of the world. You can't have a nuclear conflict between Russia and America. So if, if Russia is going to take a stand that is, and, and they are, that is signaling to all these other smaller countries that may not be nuclear powers. Uh, hey, this is the moment. Like the big boys are making the move. China and Russia are making the move to pair their economic fate to each other and and that's what's happening. And uh, that's the other thing that I discovered last night is that there is a, a Shanghai index that allows you to trade for uh, oil and gas in yuan, which is China's currency. And I didn't even know this existed, but it does. So China and this and they created it about four or five years ago. So they they were laying the groundwork for this. And now because China is the is the largest importer of oil and gas in the world because they have such an enormous industry. Russia is the largest exporter of oil and gas in the world because that's their only industry. Well, they are a natural fit for each other. So what does the stupid fucking American government do? They say, hey, let us expedite your your, uh, you know, brotherhood. It, it's crazy. Right. By saying uh, we're not going to are we even still purchasing oil and gas from Russia? Because, no. uh, yeah. So in other words, we're going, hey, we're going to make sure that that's available for you guys to purchase. And we're also going to make it harder for you guys to do these transactions in dollars. Yep. And speaking to your point, because there are some technical arguments against people moving away from the dollar. But I do kind of look at it your way where like in any market, 
you know, there, there's there's kind of like supply and demand. So if you got a shitty product, is someone not really going to come and offer something better? Like, I, I kind of refuse to accept the idea that we're in this market where the dollar's king shit and no one can come come in with a diamond. It just seems so strange to me that the most powerful people in the world, which are countries, are just going to accept, hey, we've got this asset that we're all stuck with that allows some other country to continue to just rob us of our wealth. And not just that, but we're going to lend to them so that they can keep having a bigger military. And we're going to let people over there not work jobs because we just keep lending them <laughs> money so that like, you know what I mean? At some point, I would just think that the other countries would be like, yeah, we're not doing that. Well, yeah. And then on top of that, periodically, we just topple one of them. We just say, hey, we're going to bomb you, invade you. And then we're going to sodomize your, your leader and, you know, have him dragged out in the street, which is what happened with Gaddafi in Libya because he tried to go the gold route. Uh so and same with Saddam in, in Iraq. A lot of people think that was the real catalyst for our second invasion. So I, I completely agree with you. I mean, we have we have run this racket for a very long time and and we have abused it to the extent that we have forced these people's hands. You know, this is going to be another situation where you're going to be considered a Putin apologist or whatever if you bring up the history of us making this come to pass. But it's just obviously true. We have abused our power to an extent that all of these countries are being forced to reconsider their prior financial relationships with us. And I can't blame them. And I know you can't either because you're an actual thinking person that goes, why the fuck would we allow this to persist? So they're not going to. All right. So then th this does bring us in. I'm, I'm not going to rehash all of the technical arguments made by some of our uh, recent guests, but I, I think one of the most notable ones would be that. All of the country, all of the kind of uh, central banks of the world in lockstep, I would say, have inflated so that not no one currency. They're all kind of in the same racket. And so everyone's kind of had low interest rates. Japan's been the most extreme with like negative interest rates. But like China doesn't. In It would seem to me China does not want to become the currency of the world because they don't want their currency to appreciate in value. They've always kind of been been an exporter. That's kind of always been, uh, I mean, that's what Donald Trump was kind of yelling about with the currency manipulation, but it doesn't seem to be in the financial interest of China for the yuan to become the currency of the world. Just to put this in, in simple terms, if you're the currency of the world, then there's demand for your currency. So one of two things happen. I guess you go the United States thing where you inflate so much that basically, even though there's demand for your currency, it doesn't appreciate in value. Right. Which maybe yep. that maybe that is the plan where you become basically the next United States where you try and impose on everyone using your currency and then you print enough against it that it does not actually go up in value. I uh, see. I think that's the perfect counter argument right there, man. What like everyone. It's funny because all the Austrian economics guys in our libertarian camp are are saying exactly what you're saying. Well, we're the best of the bunch and everybody else sucks. And like, why would China want this? Because there's such a massive exporter. Well, at some point, why would you not want to be the reserve currency of the world? Look what it enabled America to do for the past 50 years. I mean, we just basically run roughshod over everybody. And, and if China has this long uh, outlook, which everyone talks about how they have 100 year plans and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it makes perfect sense that they're, they have 1.4 billion consumers in their own country that they would want to make it more of an internal demand economy versus an exporting economy. But they can actually do both. They can have, you know, the the middle class of their country rise up as, as well as export their inflation to the rest of the world. If people start to trade for oil and gas and yuan exclusively, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I don't agree with the premise that like 
they wouldn't want that. Like they, right. they would prefer that over this current paradigm. And then the other thing I was just thinking literally while you were talking is people talk about how uh, it would have to be a, if they're turned out, if we create a new currency, it would be a gold backed currency, or they keep kind of hearing this conversation about some new commodity based currency. The reality is you don't need that. What everyone's looking for is guaranteed redeemability. So yep. for example, if Russia were to accept, let's just say you didn't even need you didn't need to buy uh, oil in rubles. You could just buy the oil in in yuan, right? So then, China's guaranteed that it can do something with its currency, which is that it can buy oil for it. So like there now, there's a guaranteed redeemability there. Now usually you need some sort of a turnaround guarantee. So like our relationship with Saudi Arabia is almost that we'll sell them weapons. So like for whatever dollars we're spending over there. Like we kind of know, you know what I mean? It's almost like part of the reason why the dollar is as good as it is. It's that, I mean, the oil is priced in dollars, but it's not just that. I know that I can pay my taxes with it. So everyone knows that there's something that they can do with their U.S. dollars. Right. Uh, in, in the counter relationship, I guess, between China and Russia, what would what does Russia need that it, like that it currently buys from China that I guess it could like almost guarantee? I mean, I guess there's just a shit ton of general goods and services Um it, that it, you know what I mean? Cause to me, that's the biggest variable. It's the guaranteed redeemability. So if like there's futures well, contracts, go ahead, you can take it from there. Well, I, I, uh, this is going to blow your mind. That index that I just told you about in Shanghai, right? They, the Chinese bank, you know, the CCP realized that people aren't going to want to store a ton of yuan. So what did they do? They made it automatically exchangeable for gold so that they've already done exactly what you're talking about. And they have underpinned their currency buy gold and Russia did the same thing where now they you can uh the the central bank of Russia will purchase uh I think it's 5000 ruble per gram of gold which amounts to essentially $1500 US dollars per ounce of gold so they're doing the same thing both of these countries are moving in tandem to essentially alleviate the exact issue that you're bringing up right so there's an exchange right now uh in Chinese yuan that will that you're allowed to is that true of Chinese citizens as well? If I'm a Chinese citizen, I don't I'd... think so. I don't think so. This is the this is the oil and gas exchange that exists within China. So if you if you sell your oil and gas and they will buy it in yuan, but that yuan is exchangeable for gold in that moment. So that's that's how they got around it. Interesting. Okay, so just to kind of give bigger picture recap right here. Uh, the concern is that America's taken it too far, right? We're inflating our dollar like mad. We're pushing around other countries. At some point, other countries are going to go, why is it that I'm just giving free money to the United States? Why are we just transacting in dollars? Why are we being victims to this system and letting them just steal wealth from us by inflating? So yeah. step one is it would be natural for people to step into the market and go, Let's get another option here so that we're not just letting the United States steal our money. Same way as I bought some Bitcoin because I'm like, why would I keep my money and all my money in dollars? It's just being inflated away from me. Other countries are going to step in and go, hey, let's create something else. And, and you're saying that the framework is already there in China because they basically have created a gold-backed exchange uh, for, for, for oil and gas. Yeah, just okay. for oil and gas. But then Russia has gone to a, an, an entirely, you know, the next level where they said, yeah, our central bank will buy at $1,500 an ounce, which is below current market price, but it puts a floor under gold. But what it also does is it puts a floor under the ruble because you know that it's exchangeable for $1,500 uh, 
uh, per ounce worth of gold. So they they uh, because of arbitrage, the the you know the FX traders, the currency traders of the world immediately identified this and they bid the ruble up to be on par with that exchange oh, rate. Is that the real story with why the ruble came back up so quickly? Yes. Yes. No. How come it, no coverage of that whatsoever? I don't know if people don't understand it or what, but uh, to me, it's pretty evident. Like if you're able to exchange X amount of rubles for X amount of gold and you know the price of gold, well, then that's what the price of the fucking ruble is. I mean, it's pretty, pretty obvious when you think about it. Because anytime the ruble goes under that level, you would just, well, wouldn't you, you would sell your ruble and exchange it for gold. Exactly. But then wouldn't that continuously push down the ruble? No, it puts a floor under it. Uh, I don't. No, I don't think so, because <laughs> because you would be able to just exchange it at that level, and and because no, because I'm saying if the gold wouldn't go up, if I'm if I'm always able to redeem my ruble for gold, so let, let let's put it in like really simple terms. Let's just imagine Elon Musk had a trillion dollars worth of rubles. Let's just imagine that, right? Okay, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that is in rubles, and he goes, oh, I can just exchange this for gold. Great, let's do it. So now, if you're increasing the supply of rubles, right, without that gold, like doesn't that become an end like almost like an endless i see what you're saying so if the the price of gold were to rise it you're saying well it it wouldn't need it wouldn't need a rise you would need wait i'm 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 thinking yeah no you would need the exchange if you've got the fixed exchange let's try and make this really simple like let's just say uh, i i i don't know i what what, what's currently what's a gold bar worth right now like a like an entire i i only know what an ounce of gold is i don't know what a bar is. Yeah, what's an ounce? What's an ounce uh, at? An ounce is like nineteen hundred. Let's just, just keep like, it, let's say two thousand. Make the let's give easy. it two thousand. All right, so two thousand. Um, I get. Let's just say we pegged, uh, two thousand dollars ounce of gold. Right. So now all of a sudden I decide, you know what? I'd rather the ounce of gold. I'm gonna liquidate all of my money. Let's just say I'm worth ten grand. I liquidate all my money. Now let's go with bigger numbers. I keep making this more complicated than that. <laughs> let's go with Elon Musk, right? Because he's got a lot of. Let's say Elon Musk got a hundred billion dollars. He goes, fuck it, I'll take the gold, right? Mm-hmm. So if you transfer your dollars for gold, you're increasing the supply of dollars and you're decreasing the amount of gold, right? So in a free market, your gold would go up in price and the dollars would go down in value. You still with me so far? I think so, yes. I mean, that's just simple. If if, if, if someone, if everyone tomorrow went to said, I want to convert my dollars for gold, right? Your gold's going to go up in value because it's more in demand and the dollars are going to go down in value. I think that's kind of what happened with the U.S. and that's why we came off the the gold reserve, you know, status. But the the ruble itself is not the uh, you know it's not the currency of the world. So they're just trying to make they're like one financial alternative. And most you know Elon Musk and all these people don't have billions of rubles. You know they just don't right. have it. So so that exchange issue doesn't really exist. And if you want to be able to transact when it comes to just the oil and gas exports from Russia, which is really the only thing that they have. Um, that's the only reason for you to want to have rubles. And if it's exchangeable for gold, it basically puts a floor under the price. I agree with you. If if there was to so be then some me, mass I'll, exodus, then it I'll would ask, be a problem. I'll ask the question differently. How does the peg create a price floor? Well, because if you have 15, uh, what is it? Um, 5,000, I think it was 5,000 rubles per uh ounce is it ounce no gram of gold that's the floor because you know what the exchange rate is for an uh 
a, a gram of gold. So oh, I think I understand it. So there's support there. There's all there's almost no reason to exchange the the ruble because if the ruble falls in value, you can always then exchange it for the gold. So there's kind of a floor on like how little the ruble would be worth, except that I would think if the ruble fell enough, everyone would want to go and convert it into gold. So you'd end up like you'd probably end up with a run on whatever they're claiming the gold stock is. I guess that's true. Yeah. And and that's and like I said, that's why I think Nixon took us off because uh, took us off the the, the gold uh, standard because he was like, well, people are trying to redeem the gold that we allegedly have in our in our uh, central banks. So and we just, don't we don't have it. Fine. So just to support your claim, though. It sounds like uh, the Russian convertibility of ruble to gold just exists on kind of the whatever this international exchange is for like the oil contracts. It's not like anyone in Russia can just go convert their personal rubles. Correct. Yeah, it's just it's just for that particular transaction. I think I think I'm not actually sure if if the Russian people or, or anybody is allowed to do it. But but to see, the thing is, is that they pinned it to a price of gold that is below the current market price. So you don't want to exchange it for gold at this price because it doesn't make any sense because a gold ounce is 2000. They're basically pinning it at 1500. So they're putting a floor under gold, which is something that they've accumulated tremendously over the past you know couple decades as they realized that this process was kind of inevitable. China's done the same thing. So you're not going to exchange it right now, but it puts a floor under both the value of gold and the ruble at that level. So it's like, yes, you're right. If it were to get below that level, then you would start to see people exchange it really rapidly. And that would probably undermine this entire process. But because the actual price of gold right now is above that level, there's no incentive to do it. So I think it's I think I think it's ingenious personally, but I, I do agree with you that there is some uh, knock on effects and things that you have to consider as as with all central planning, there's always going to be other considerations. All right. And then the other big headline in terms of uh, maybe the misstep of uh, kind of pushing Putin into this war with Ukraine. So the first one that we're kind of laying out is, uh, hey, you might move the world away from the U.S. currency. You might have overplayed your hand here. And that was actually the first thing I said is like, you want to talk about uh, sanctions. The world's worst sanction is going to be if China and Russia moves away from the U.S. dollar. So you might not win this one. And I'm not nope. saying that you and I are 100 percent right in the world's moving away from dollars. I'm just saying that at a minimum, there's a gamble here and it might be one that we lose and would be tragic. The other yeah. thing that sounds to be real bad, but I don't understand the scope of it. Is they keep because I, I don't know how to forecast futures contracts in a year from now, and I don't know the way the farming industry works. But there's just been a lot of talk about the fact that there's a lot of the world's grain and fertilizer is coming out of Ukraine and Russia, and so that there's a lot of land that's being left undeveloped that's going to be that's going to significantly impact food prices next year. Uh, I'm curious to know if you have any more insights into the actual scope of that because to me it's just. Headlines and fear mongering of which I could not quantify or tell you the truth to it. It's just, you know yeah. what I mean? It, 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 it's an interesting story. I don't, I don't have a helicopter to look at how much plane. I mean, I don't know how much fields that are normally being planted are currently unplanted and what that translates into to actual food costs next year. I've, I would have no way of knowing that. Uh, I, I'm not going to pretend to know either. It's, I mean, Farming is so outside of my scope of knowledge that I couldn't possibly guess at it. But I would I would correct one thing. I don't think that these farms are largely not being planted. I mean, certainly in war zones in Ukraine, yes, there's probably going to be some crops that are missed. 
Uh, but for the most part, it's just an issue of these countries deciding that they're not going to export to enemy countries any of these goods. And that's basically what Russia has said. Like, if you treat us like shit, we're not going to give you the stuff that you need and that, that we have, which is obviously some some wheat and some things like that. But moreover, for them, it's oil and gas. Ukraine, on the other hand, is the breadbasket of Europe. You know, they how they is that? Is there is like why is Ukraine? Is it just that the labor's I, cheaper I, there? Is it no? I think they I think they just have a good climate and decent decent soil, honestly. Um, but it's also location. They're kind of central think, to so right, many countries. This is where I just like start getting conspiracy minded. Okay, uh, lay it on me. <laughs> no, it's just like it just would seem to me if you're Europe and the world leaders, and Ukraine is your food supply you'd figure out how to not be in this situation. Like if you're really reliant on Ukraine for food, I would just think you would you would have figured out either extreme investment in Ukraine's security so that Russia would not go in there. Uh, and I'm not talking about just making them NATO. I just mean that like kind of forecasting for this and putting the arms there so that Ukraine can defend itself or right. just de-escalating this thing immediately because you know how consequential the war is. You're just like give you kind of just give in real quick because you're like this is going to be immensely consequential this is where it gets scary to me where it's like you you, you see the amount of land that bill gates has bought uh you hear and it, you know it, it's so creepy the way they use the uh because i'm not that up on the devos new world order but like when you just hear hillary clinton or like they're just kind of mentioning yeah we're going to be in like a new world like they just kind of casually mention that there's going to be some new restructuring where yeah. it's like it doesn't even make sense why they're using that turn of phrase type of thing but I, I wonder if in some ways the food reduction was uh, calculated by nefarious individuals that will be looking for, uh, you know, people to be relying on them and willing to kind of make sacrifices in the life. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I just sometimes get conspiracy minded where I'm like, hey. how can the world leaders be so like if it's true? Like there's a bunch of ifs here because I don't have all the variables. If it's so true that there's going to be massive food shortages next year, which is an unquantified amount. And I don't necessarily even believe to be true because I just think science is pretty good. And, you know, like even if food doubled in its price, I get there's people with families and they'd be fucked and you'd probably have to eat your small kids. But that's what happens, you know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that there is there is a real yeah. Malth Malthusian strain that runs through the ideology of the globalists. So uh, I think that while you're correct, that if they see this, they ought to be running the opposite direction or. Or trying to, you know, create peace there, or having front ran this to prevent it in the first place. These people believe in depopulation. Many of them do. So, and they know that they're going to stay fed. I think that the the gamble that they're making and the mistake that they're making is that if you have food prices that are extraordinary or you have food shortages, that's how you get dictators toppled. That's how you have populist revolts. So they are playing with fire by doing all this. And and um, also to your point about well, if if the UK or if Europe, moreover, is so uh, at the mercy of exports from Russia and Ukraine, both when it comes to food, oil and gas, why would they be doing this? Well, I think that this is an American plot. I don't think that this is necessarily an EU plot because Victoria Nuland was caught on tape, you know, basically uh, deciding who the next leader of Ukraine was going to be in 2014 after they they assisted with the Maidan revolution. So. Uh, uh, by assisted, I mean they basically fucking fomented it. I think, I really believe it was a color revolution. <clears throat> and I believe that this was, um, you know, part of their plan to have a, a, a war with Russia. And this is why they painted Donald Trump as being a, uh, you know, a puppet of Putin is because 
Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the president and they were they were preparing for a conflict with Russia five, six years ago. Or, well, not five, six years ago, eight years ago. But they were I think the plan was supposed to like actually start in 2016, 17, somewhere in there. It got delayed because of Trump's presidency. This is all obviously my pontificating. This is my belief system. But uh, I think there's a lot of evidence to demonstrate that that's likely. All right. Last topic. And then uh, I'll let you go. I know you got a busy day. You got that river to look at your fancy lifestyle. <laughs> got to close some deals, pay, yeah. pay the rent. Um, I saw an article today that since they've raised interest rates, um, home housing demand came down by about 40 percent. Like the interest in new, maybe it was the interest in new mortgages came down by about 40 percent. Uh, I have a theory on like home uh home buying which i, I want to run by because i might just not have this wrong but i would think if you I, I would almost think you're better off if you're looking to buy a house i know this is counterintuitive but in a high interest rate environment the reason being that in a low interest rate environment there's more demand for houses so the the homes are just more expensive Absolutely. if there's a higher interest rate demand comes down and the homes are less expensive so Correct. either way you know what i mean like you're, you're spending that money it yeah. is tax. There's a tax advantage to you to be spending that money on an interest rate because that's actually tax deductible True. versus the home value. If the home value is more expensive, you can't deduct that. Additionally, if if you go and buy a house now and it's cheaper because the interest rate is higher, if at any point in time the interest rate drops, you can refinance, right? True. Yeah, exactly. So, so if anything, like it would seem to me like in a seven or eight percent environment, let's just say, or like theoretically, I mean, at this point, four percent is probably what I would view as like normal. But like I remember right. when it was like seven or eight, that was kind of like what was normal. Historically, that was the norm was six to seven percent. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not like people think like the low interest rate. Oh, there's so much better for it's like no, it's your the houses are more expensive as a result. And there's less of a tax benefit because you can't deduct, deduct that. So, like, you, you, you know, it's almost more favorable to me if there's a slightly higher interest rate because there's going to be less demand. I uh, agree, brother. The, this is what this is what I've been warning about for two years is that if interest rates hike, the current price levels will be completely. They don't make sense. Yeah, yeah, they don't. And, that, they don't and, that, and, that, and, that, and that's the big problem with the government interest rates is they create these bubbles because uh, you end up with the asset prices going up only because of the cheap credit. And exactly. at some point when the cheap credit dries up, the asset prices have to come down. And then yep. all the people that leveraged against the asset prices, which doesn't even mean like the banks and the collateral mortgages, it's just even you thinking you have more money to spend because of your home equity. Right. Um, it, and that's when things collapse. <laughs> You're exactly right. And that that's exactly what the Austrian school calls malinvestment. You're basically sending a, a signal to the economy or the, the consumers within the economy to go out and take on debt and buy at any price level because you have an inflationary environment. It basically makes it so that it's it's prudent. If you have consistent inflation, like it's the same, it's the exact same recipe that we had in 04, 05, 06, where prices of real estate kept, kept going up because interest rates kept going down. So it made it appear as if, well, this never ends. Obviously you should buy now because a year from now it's going to be worth 10% more than you purchased it for. In that environment you are you are logical and correct to do so, but that fucking game ends and it always does and it always will. So the only potential for buying real estate at this price level to make any sense is if we are actually entering a hyperinflationary moment. But if we're entering a hyperinflationary moment, I would greatly prefer to have Bitcoin. So 
that's that's my thesis is that if you're oh if you're, interesting that between the two buying, if we go hyperinflationary bitcoin will actually uh outperform uh a house in terms of preserving your wealth yes because if the us if the reserve currency of the world is going to hyperinflate would you rather own a house or a shitload of bitcoin like personally bitcoin looks like a much better play primarily because the 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 threat to the real estate market is predicated on interest rates. If inflation gets to be so significant that the Federal Reserve says, fuck, we're going to have like food riots in America if we don't hike interest rates enough to break the back of inflation, which is what happened in the early 80s. I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but it is a potential. Like they could absolutely do that at any time. They could just say, we're going to hike the hell out of interest rates. And if that happens, well, real estate is like the most dependent market when it on on interest rates when it comes to any investment class that I'm aware of. So, like that would be the last place I'd want to be when you have the central bank talking currently about hiking interest rates multiple times over the next couple of years. It just doesn't make any sense. But then on but then on the same note, wouldn't you have um it, well, it's interesting because now there is staking, so there is yield. Um, if you trust the exchanges, like there yeah. is yield, which I I'm I'm lazy. All my all my fucking cryptos on the exchanges, <laughs> uh, which is probably dumb. I, I freely admit to the fact. I'm I whatever. Hey, I'm I'm lazy with it too, brother. Don't worry about it. Um, but with that being said, I, and I, I, the counter argument would be in a high interest rate environment, people might actually leave Bitcoin in search of yield because you might be able to buy government bonds at a high interest rate. Uh, but that's, that's possible. But yeah, I would but, but, but that, if the that, dollar, if the dollar is yeah. dying though, like uh, you're, I'm not saying like, say they hike interest rates and real estate is demolished. If they hike interest rates, Bitcoin will also take a loss. Like right. if you're, cause that, if you hike the U.S. Uh, you know lending rate, the 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 central bank rates, like you're going to see a deflationary collapse. That that's my that's been my thesis, and that's right. basically what Austrian school teaches us is that if they hike rates too much because of the debt overhang, just to service it is going to become untenable for so many you know billions of people across the planet that you're going to see a deflationary collapse in that environment. All asset classes, uh, you know, come down in, in value. So. I think that Bitcoin would as well. I just think that real estate is is even more predicated on interest rates. So I think that that would be the last place I would want to be. All right. So last real estate question for you. So I, I personally, I mean, I, I wanted to buy fucking formal land in high school, but same thing. I'm lazy. And I still I still <laughs> like the idea of uh, having myself some uh, piece of property. Like the idea that how I don't know, I don't need it like a nice I, I like the idea of having my own little piece of property, little water source, like you know, all that shit Me for if the world ends tomorrow. Well, you got yeah. you got all the water in the world right there. You can just yeah, get a I giant can't, straw. I can't, I can't grow food. Uh, I could I guess I could fish, but that's about it. Yeah. Um I sometimes uh I get excited from an investment standpoint with new technology. And homes are a weird one because if you think about it, with framing, like there hasn't been incredible new technology in terms of building houses up until 3d printing which mm -hmm. i don't know how good it is but sometimes i'm reading these articles and looking at these pictures and going like oh they might actually revolutionize like at the moment it's very expensive you want to build a house it's fucking old school you gotta go find your piece of property you need a contractor they're framing concrete big heavy machinery there's a lot going on to it it's almost it's almost strange that with all the technological developments we've seen in the world for the most part, like, like I would almost think if I, there would be like Ikea modular homes at this point or like things that are close to uh, uh, like those freight things. Like I would just think building a house right now 
would be the, the world's nicest trailers could be put up within a day just by basically, you know, Lego kits. But that's at the moment, that's not the way homes are homes are put together or built. Uh, do you forecast the possibility? Because you look at the housing market, it's like, who's going to buy all of the baby booming houses for one, for two, you got all of like the new downtown developments, which like in my area, there were so many kids that couldn't buy houses. You go out to Stanford, Connecticut, and kids would rather live stacked on top of themselves in the downtown area at New York City rents because right. they just don't want to deal with buying a house. And then part of that's because everyone's got student debt. So kids my age are a little bit more reluctant and they're also not having families. They don't buy houses. So I just look at like the house because it's like been a staple of America is buy yourself a house and that's how you save for retirement. But I just like when I look at it, I'm like between potential technological developments in terms of being able to build homes, people being able to work more remotely. Like I just I, I like I don't really see a house necessarily as being like this incredibly secure asset. Well, yeah, I mean, historically it has been because we've had such consistent inflation, um, but that doesn't always happen. And, and no new technological developments. What technological well, developments has existed in the last hundred years in terms right. of more efficiently building a house? That's wild to think about. Yeah, no, it is. And and you're right, though, that 3D printing is a real you know, burgeoning thing. Uh, I don't actually know what the input costs are of, of uh, 3D printing a house because I know that you know, the material costs for building a house have skyrocketed because we had such shortages of all materials across the board because of lockdowns, because of the inflation, everything else, it's all fucked up. So, um, yeah, I mean, if if that inflation has hit the 3D printing of houses as well, then maybe those have also gone up in price. And I don't know. But uh, the to your point about the modular housing, modular homes are actually really nice now like they do have them they're just not as nice as as regular construction they're not close to as nice but they are you know it's not the trailer park of the 70s or whatever that you would think of like they are fucking really nice homes now um but the price of those have gone up too so they're they're not they're not crazy affordable i i think really it's just the uh there's a there's a lot of reason to be skeptical about the real estate market in this country and and it's it's really the the floor on it is under underpinned by the big boys that are that are buying up like ten percent of the market right now, which is the hedge funds, the Black Rocks of the world, all the people that that everybody hates. Ooh, um, this is ADD. I I got really excited about this one when Elon Musk was buying Twitter, and people go, "Oh man, free market's coming back! Look, the world's biggest billionaire." You know the other shareholders in Twitter are BlackRock. <laughs> like it's like you're talking BlackRock and Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about trillions against billions like we're not we're not even like people uh we're getting excited like oh the power of a billion like the power of a billionaire is not close it i mean it's literally not even it's not even close yep. to fucking blackrock like and I, you know I, why because well, blackrock has, has, has other people's access. money no well, well they have not direct just access to the fed to bail themselves out and they have other people's money well not not just to bail themselves out they have direct access to the fed window for funding too i just right. read about that last week i was like holy fucking shit i can't i didn't even know that um so yeah you're right i mean the the billionaire like a singular billionaire is not enough to fight back against these guys it's going to be interesting uh on the twitter front all right that's all i got anything else you wanted to uh, throw at the run your mouth listeners uh yeah just come come check us out in in texas this weekend uh it'll be obviously uh scott horton uh, Dave Smith, and then just added Eric July with cool. your boy Clint Russell opening for that event. I can't. I am. 
I haven't ever given a live speech and I have to open for those three fucking juggernauts. It's nah, going to be gonna, insane. You're going to kill a man. You were, <laughs> you were in over zoom and yeah, yeah. The whole room in their seats nearly All in right, tears good. thinking the world was going to end. So <laughs> you're, you're cap. That's you're what cap- I do best captivating speaker i'll plug my gig so uh firstly big summer porch tour uh events coming your way uh florida's confirmed i gotta actually get that date up it's gonna be a crossover pod at the top lobster ranch yeah, uh, li- limited seating available i'm gonna be doing stand-up and then uh the uh you guys we're gonna do a crossover podcast afterwards with the uh the tower gang pod we're gonna give everybody yeah. aids it's gonna be a good time <laughs> um, that'll be that'll be may i think it's may 6th May 6th. Yeah, I really got to get these dates up and start promoting yeah. it. Um, yeah. What else do I have? I got April 24th. I'm in Boston for I'm hosting uh, Liberty of um, like they're doing the National Liberty. Every state, the, the convention. I'm doing the convention. Uh, I've got a Soho Forum next week. And then April 30th, I'm doing a gig in New Jersey to support medical freedom. I have to actually put all these dates together. So those will be available soon. Clint looking forward to seeing you in Florida and, uh, Thank you so much brother. Hopefully do some more, uh, summer gigs together. Absolutely. If anybody wants to check out the show, just, uh, search Liberty lockdown, wherever you're at. Thank you so much for having me, man. Beauty later, dude. Peace out. All right. And before we call it an episode, I know this has been a long one, but I realized I didn't take any comments this entire time. So I'm just going to read a couple, uh, a couple of comments. Uh, someone, Marianne, Brandon, throwing out biscuits instead of unleavened bread. I will respect that call back. And uh, here's what's fun about Passover. At first, you eat that matzah. You're like, yeah, matzah's not so bad. It's not so bad. Not so bad. And then by the end of it, you eat a piece of bread. You're like, holy shit, matzahs suck. Why the fuck would anyone eat that? literally just the world's worst bed it's like an untasty cracker dirty mike trump's tweet often annoyed me but it'd be so great if he gets back on just to left watch the left lose it agreed uh marianne brandon come through trump being reinstated on twitter would be better than his winning a second term hot take hot take joseph here we go if you could exchange rubles for gold you don't need to you can just hold rubles it's as good as gold theoretically all right let's take one more uh Zof Zuffud for Prez, the cost of red tape has offset technological improvements. Oh, that's actually really interesting. That's essentially saying that governments come through with le- uh, legislation and licensing laws that even if there were to be uh, technological improvements, you know, your town could just make some zoning law or other law that would essentially protect homeowners or builders so that you know you didn't just have some sudden increase in housing supply that everyone else's housings would come down in value fair enough uh all right last two comments joseph blackrock has 10 trillion dollars assets but it's all debt blackrock's market cap is twice less than elon musk okay fair enough maybe i had that story wrong i'm okay with being wrong uh mary and brandon robbie pronounced my username correctly for the first time i'm so happy let's close on that one uh sheath you guys heard it from Robert. Robert himself. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code RIM. You get 20% off. You'll create them. Don't be sober for the end of the world. We're going to have to make that the new slogan. Maybe I'll put it up, put it up right there. You go to yokratum.com. You need to sell $60 kilos. That is our episode. Have a great day, everybody.